0: Okay, thanks, uh, Stan. Um, yeah, I'm not going to attempt to um, cover everything over the last uh, week of uh, weekly worker holidays or um, the week of uh, communist university. So I'm just picking out, um, not at random, but um, nonetheless, um, sort of various Uh, developments that I think uh, need commenting on. Um, To start with, um, just a quick word on um, the government and the civil service. Um, We're sort of seeing one resignation after the other. Um, Philip Rutman, Home Office, falling out with Priti Patel, we all know about that one, Employment Tribunal uh, but we've also had uh, Jonathan Slater of the Department of Education, Sally Collier of Ofqual, uh, Mark Sedwell, uh, Cabinet Secretary, is just about to go, Simon MacDonald of the Foreign Office, Richard Hinton of the Ministry of Justice, one can carry on down the list. It's a very impressive list of First Division civil servants who are going now, you could, and I think that uh, some look at this as some sort of Boris Johnson, Dominic uh, Cummings master plan to shake up uh, the British uh, civil service. As far as I can see, it's a pretty shambolic, pretty, sh- pretty chaotic, um, how should you put it, uh, A set of departures. There doesn't seem to be anything particularly planned uh, about it. Um, At best, what you can say is that various people are being cleared out uh, either to um, deflect from uh, government um, incompetence, uh, not least over uh, COVID-19 and the series of um, U-turns that Boris Johnson and the government has performed, you know, uh, lockdown, no lockdown, masks, no masks question of um, A-levels, teachers' assessments, the algorithm. um, You know, you can carry on uh, down the list. I don't know how many uh, U-turns this government has done, uh, but what you don't get is uh, um, resignations from ministers. What you get is the sacking or easing aside or the booting out of top civil servants and their replacement um, as with uh, dido um, harding of old tory mates uh, from oxford um, you know in the middle of a pandemic we actually get uh, public health england being axed and someone from um, i don't know what business background she's got was it TikTok? is it uh, um, supermarkets whatever her background is she ain't a scientist Um, She's basically a uh, um, well-placed business person with connections uh, uh, to uh, this government. So for for my part, at least, uh, I can't see uh, this as part of Dominic Cummings' master plan. Uh, It looks a lot more like um, plain old, um, you know, old old boys' network uh, uh, stuff, as far as I can see it. Uh, In terms of uh, Cummings, he talks about thinking outside the box. Well, you know, where's the plan? Um, You know, we used to hear stuff, you know, from um, George Osborne about the pivot to China. That made a certain sense. Before that, there was the alliance with the EU. Uh, What are we talking now uh, about? It would seem uh, that the only hope they've got... um, is tying themselves uh, uh, even closer uh, to uh, a malfunctioning uh, United States, presumably uh, under Donald Trump. How, how's that going to go if Joe Biden uh, wins? There doesn't seem to me, at least, to be um, um, any forward vision. And quite frankly, you shouldn't really expect it because what you've got um, is, first of all, a hegemon in decline and it 's poodle it 's um, I should admit, its, its' number one uh, ally uh, is also uh, in uh, decline, so I, I really don 't see uh, Britain in that sense making um, independent choices, no matter how many uh, thinkers uh, Dominic Cummings uh, brings in who can think outside the box. there is the box it 's called subordination uh, to the United States, and I think that 's Uh, uh, Britain's um, uh, immediate uh, future okay moving on Um, I was somewhat bemused but um, there we are uh, by the demonstration yesterday uh, in uh, central London uh, by um, I don't know what you want to call them I suppose the press calls them uh, uh, Covid-19 deniers Uh, that isn't quite true uh, some of them, no doubt, think that the whole thing is made up or vastly exaggerated, and COVID-19 is fundamentally no different to a normal uh, cold or um, an average flu. Um, but others, um, you know, are more into uh, libertarianism, um, so I won't wear a mask, I won't uh, isolate. To me, um, you know... The, There's two sides to this, because it's certainly true uh, that governments do use uh, moments such as this uh, to impose draconian restrictions and to extend the power of the state. I I don't think that uh, is uh, um, up for argument. I think that's a plain statement of fact. On the other hand, if we look at how you would deal with a pandemic and the pandemic is real, you know, death rates are higher than normal. Britain uh, is surely uh, the worst uh, when it comes to handling uh, this uh, pan- pandemic. Uh, that uh, if you look at these people um, you know quite frankly what they um, uh, display uh, is the growth of irrationality uh, in uh, society. Um, uh, I.e. Um, you know it's similar uh to the anti vaccine um uh, movement uh, the um, 5g uh, is all about planting uh, chips in our brains and turning us into uh, robots etc uh, etc et but nevertheless, as i said uh, i think there is a rational kernel uh, to what these people are saying the fact of the matter is governments are using draconian powers uh, and um <clears throat> Excuse me. And governments, yes, do have an agenda to extend surveillance uh, and uh, all the rest of it. OK, moving on. I think it's just worthwhile a comment on the um, controversy uh, at the proms around uh, rural Britannia and land of hope and glory. Um, I can't say I'm a fan of of the last night of the proms. I think to get the full effect, I tend to be a radio listener, uh, but to get the full effect you either have to be there or as a sort of substitute watch it on TV. Uh, And it does strike me as uh, an occasion for young fogies uh, uh, to come out and to display their uh, Toryism and uh, their nationalism so, uh, personally, uh, you know, if you gave me a free ticket, um, I would, you know, think twice uh, about going, I have to say. I don't think it, w- it would be something I would enjoy. On the other hand, what we've got at the moment is um, an opportunity to bash uh, the BBC. And clearly that, uh, um, how should you put it, uh, dovetails with the agenda of the Murdochs, Uh, the agenda of those that want to um, set up a British version of Fox News. You've got a similar thing on the radio, haven't you? Not with the Murdochs. They've got their own radio uh, station now. Uh, But uh, LBC, for example, does opinion. Uh, The BBC pretends to have uh, impartiality and balance, where if you listen to LBC, you know, they've had on... On in the past, running their own shows, people like Nigel, uh, LaFar- uh, Nigel Farage, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the name's gone anyway. You know the one I mean, um, um, George Galloway. George Galloway, thank you very much. Why couldn't I think a good old gorgeous George? But yes, anyway, so Land of Hope and Glory. Royal Britannia, Why was the BBC uh, determined to uh, wind this down? Uh, as I'm, as I understand it, I I listen to Radio Three, so I ought to be informed about this stuff. That what they're doing is a live event, uh, but with a pared down uh, audience. And as I understand it, that if you take uh, opera singers in particular. Uh, If you're blasting it out in full, uh, then if you happen to have uh, COVID-19, then you're spreading it not six foot, uh, but considerably uh, wider than that. Hence, uh, what they're going in for um, is a musical um, version of it with an orchestra uh, as opposed to uh, big powerful uh, singers um it's also worth noting uh though the um, um objections raised by the chief conductor i think on the last night i think i can't remember her name but she's Finnish. uh i was reading a, a story either in the express or the daily mail when i read these stories in the daily Mail express you look at the headlines so well, that might be worth reading and you end up reading the damn story and you say why did i bother wasting my Five minutes of life on this ship. Anyway, she um, is a conductor, she's Finnish, and she's got a partner who's in some heavy metal band, according to this uh, press story, who is a, a, a fanatic on Hitler. What it turns out, this band isn't a fanat- fanatically Hitlerite, it's fanatically obsessed with Hitler as the most evil man in the world, and we hate him. Um, but you don't get that from the headline. In other words, this woman is being portrayed as dodgy, as being someone who's uh, got, uh, who's tainted uh, by association uh, with Nazism, and of course it's complete nonsense. Um, Worthwhile thinking about those two um, pieces of music. Um, Personally, although you get these uh, young fogies, uh, you know, waving their Union Jacks and uh, all the rest of it, the two songs are actually quite different um they're written at uh, radically different periods um land of hope and glory elgar i think the, the the words came about a year later um and in terms of you know my brief reading on it uh, this is very much in the period of the height of the second british empire um you know um before world war uh, uh, one, um, okay, the British Empire is extended uh, by World War I in various parts of Africa and the Middle East. But nevertheless, this is the sort of height of um, British imperialism. Um, it's being challenged uh, by Germany. It's being challenged uh, by the United States. But it's also uh, something that is influenced by Rhodes and uh, his imperial project of uh, spreading uh, british uh, rule uh, let me get the words wider still and wider Um, yeah they're looking not only uh, to extend their um, um, south african uh, empire uh, Rhodes wanted uh, a british empire from the south of africa right up to the mediterranean and joining um uh, the territories uh, in between uh, together um if we look at um, land of hope and glory of course it's in the period of the boer war um on the other hand rule britannia um this is written actually by a scots person um it should be stressed uh, that uh, we need some understanding of what it was to be scottish Um, If you read Neil Davidson's book, I think uh, that is highly recommended by me. Uh, What you've got in Scotland at the time, I think in a strict sense, uh, would not be the Scottish nation. You didn't have, um, for example, a single language, and you didn't have a single economy. Um, You might have had three languages, uh, but certainly you had uh, um, Gaelic, uh as the major language of the highlands and you had lalans uh, a form of english uh in the south you know glasgow edinburgh dundee um aberdeen uh and a different political economy um, so anyway uh what we've got is thomas arm um, and he's part of this move by the southern um Scottish intelligentsia, or the non-highland Scottish intelligentsia, uh, to actually invent Britishness. Uh, what you've had is the Glorious Revolution, you've had the unity uh, of the crowns, uh, you've had uh, the um, first Jacobite uprising, 1715, you stand on the threshold of the second Uh, Jacobite uprising 1745 and it's interesting isn't it that it's these people in Scotland who are inventing or at least at the forefront of inventing a name uh, for this uh, new state. Uh, Clearly they wouldn't want England uh, and what they come up with is this old uh, uh, term uh, Britain Uh, and indeed what you've got um, in the um, lowlands in Scotland is publications, uh, for example, called um, the Northern Britain uh, and these people are inventing the notion of uh, Britishness and it should certainly be stressed uh, that those people um, uh, are benefiting massively from the growth of the British Empire and um, uh, these people in Scotland are staffing the British Army. Uh, they're staffing the bureaucracy in London, uh, they're doing very well uh, uh, out of the British Empire. So having been in, in that sense, historically, a backwater in Europe, a backward um, uh, economy in Europe, um, they join um, England uh, in an imperial adventure uh, and Britain founds its first empire. Um, Of course, what you then have a few years later um, is not only 1745, but you have 1776, um, and it's after the defeat of uh, Britain uh, in North America that Britain then goes on to found its second uh, empire. Uh, Anyway, my point really is uh, that if you look at the words uh, of this particular uh, song, Um, The the words liberty uh, shouldn't be dismissed uh, with a sneer. Uh, What you've got perhaps uh, in Europe at the time, and again, we don't want to exaggerate uh, it, it, um, is a situation of bourgeois liberty. Uh, You've got a situation of where the powers of the monarch have been um, severely curbed uh, uh, by parliament, um, acting in um, um, cahoots uh, with the Dutch uh, king, um, i.e. the Glorious Revolution and the development of capitalism uh, um, in uh, Britain and the development of Parliament uh, as uh, sovereign as opposed to the king. And if you look at uh, um, Britain, stroke England or whatever you want to call it, and you compare it with uh, other parts of Europe at the time, Um, You know, um, Britons never, never uh, will be slaves. And again, just a last comment on that. Um, uh, The actual words are, I've got it written down, are uh, Britannia exclamation mark rule the waves. And that gets changed if you listen to the last night of the proms. What they sing is uh, Britannia rules the waves. Britain's never will be slaves. I think the words also got changed, to never shall be uh, slaves. Either way, uh, what you've got is a conflict uh, between liberty um, in the legal sphere of Britain and what Britain is doing in terms of its empire. Britain, you know, in terms of um, its empire becomes becomes a slave trading uh, empire, Um, running the slave trade from Africa over uh, to the Americas, to the plantations in the West Indies and uh, uh, the southern states of the USA. But in Britain itself, there's always a conflict uh, between um, bourgeois liberty and the position of being a slave. Um, Just a final note on that, of course, that um, slavery uh, is uh, abolished not least in the British Empire, not least uh, because of slave uh, rebellions. It isn't simply uh, a question of, uh, you know, Whig liberalism or, or um, anything along uh, those lines. Anyway, moving on. Um, Trump, I don't know if anyone um, listened to Trump's speech at the Republican uh, Convention. I only listened to the highlights uh, myself. It makes a certain um, 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 interest in terms of um, listening to him. The economy, it will make it great again. He's looking back, uh, obviously, before COVID-19. COVID-19 it itself, he says we're going to come up with a vaccine but blames China uh, for the uh, outbreak, not his disastrous handling. I mean, just look at the situation in China now, Uh, where the outbreak began, uh, and compare that with India, Britain, or the United States. In other words, yes, it broke out uh, in China. I've got no hesitation in saying that. I think that's a fact. But who's handled it well? Who's handled it appallingly? Well, maybe Boris Johnson comes top, uh, but it has to be said that Donald Trump uh, comes a close uh, second. But anyway, he claims that uh, they'll come up with a vaccine and uh, bang, uh, everything will be fine. But what he's got going for him, and we shouldn't underestimate that, is the law and order uh, question. In a way, uh, the more riots there are uh, in America, uh, the more violent demonstrations uh, there are in America, the more arson uh, there is in America, the more Trump will like it because he doesn't blame himself uh, for that violence. He doesn't blame the police uh, for that violence. Uh, He blames the Democrats and their left-wing allies. Uh, In his words, the anarchists, the agitators, the criminals. Uh, These are the people that Joe Biden uh, uh, champions. From our own angle, uh, we don't take the view uh, that, therefore, uh, you've got to vote Trump Uh, because basically Trump represents some sort of fascism, uh, and if Trump gets his second term, um, everything's over. In our view, uh, what is historically necessary in the United States, and there's never going to be a good time for it, is the fight for an independent working class politics. Um, Who knows um, when that will happen? It hasn't happened yet, really. Uh, In terms of history, yes, the United States had the U.S. Socialist Party. uh, That won relatively healthy votes back uh, in the early part of the 20th century. But in genuine terms, the United States has never had a Workers' Party in the proper sense of the word, i.e. party, meaning part of uh, the working class. So I include Communist Party USA. I include uh, the Socialist Party. Uh, uh, party before that okay Um, then we come into the question of uh, what happens if trump refuses to go what happens if uh, um, the election ends up in endless court battles well in my view for what it's worth and it ain't worth very much um, if he looks to the army uh, he's looking in the wrong direction uh, for help Um, You know, if there's any president in the United States that's alienated the armed forces, but in particular the army, more I don't know one other than Trump. Um, You know, the the statements by serving members of the military uh, against Trump and the refusal to be used uh, by Trump or the, how should you put it, the apologies for being used uh, by Trump, to me, tells you that the army is not going to act in order to save this president. If it does act, it will act in order to remove uh, uh, this president. At least that's my um, uh, belief. Uh, Why Um, not least uh, his threat uh, to deploy troops, serving troops uh, onto the streets of uh, US cities? We're not talking about the National Guard. We're talking about the regular army Uh, and as we've said many times over it's worthwhile noting the official doctrine in the army now post Vietnam it is uh, about um, not just equal opportunities Um, it is about actually uh, promoting uh, uh, black soldiers uh, as part of some positive program why? because the US generals experienced um, a conscript army basically becoming unusable um, in Vietnam. You know, the number of cases, I don't know how many cases there actually were of fragging um, in the United States, but I have read figures on Wikipedia up to 900 um, cases of um, uh, rank-and-file GIs uh, doing in uh, their officers. But the main point would be Uh, that having come out of Vietnam, the High Command said, we don't want a conscript army. A conscript army in the conditions of the United States clearly discriminates in favour of the middle classes and their ability to get out of being conscripted and it unduly rests on uh, black uh, GIs and uh, sending that army onto the streets of the United States Against Black Lives Matter uh, demonstrators, wow, that's just asking uh, for, you know, rank and file rebellion. Uh, The army definitely wants none of that. So at least that's my uh, assessment of the situation. Okay, we've got the resignation of AB in Japan. That's called stock stock markets uh, to go down. Um, In Britain, there's worries. Will they get their trade deal? Uh, Quite frankly, I don't know. Uh, But certainly, uh, this Prime Minister, I think, has been the longest-serving Prime Minister in post-World War II Japanese history. It has to be said uh, that Japan has an extraordinary high turnover of Prime Ministers. With very few exceptions, though, they've been Prime Ministers of the Liberal Democrat uh, Party. Uh, which is this basically the establishment party um, in Japan set up after World War II. Uh, Abe has been distinguished by shifting Japan to the right, and although he said, I'm sorry, a few times to, you know, the Chinese and the Koreans, uh, basically what you've got is a re-establishment of militaristic uh, ideology. Uh, So you've got a pacifist constitution uh, and uh, a prime minister uh, that's looking to extend the scope of uh, Japanese military uh, power. Quick comment on Belarus. Um, Alexander Lefterchenko, did he win the election? I very much doubt it. The claim that he made or his officials made of uh, winning 80% of the vote if anything, I would expect it to be the other way round. If he'd won 80% of the vote and the opposition put 100,000 people on the streets, well, put a million uh, people um, on the streets. You don't need to beat down demonstrators uh, if you've won 80% uh, uh, of the vote. So, yes, ballot rigging uh, almost certainly. Um, on Having said that, have no illusions in the opposition Uh, this opposition is uh, pro-western pro-liberal and uh, what that would mean in a country like belarus uh, will not be swedish living standards and uh, swedish levels of social security it will turn belarus uh, into a basket case Um, um, it would mean you know mass migration Um, it would mean the closure of uh, 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 nationalised industries, uh, it would uh, see a decimation um, of um, you know, the working class uh, in Belarus. That doesn't mean we stand uh, with the regime uh, but we need to understand what the opposition is and clearly uh, the West has been um, hankering after uh, a coloured revolution in Belarus uh, for decades now. Uh, the last time I came across anything to do with uh, Belarusian um, politics must have been at least 20 years ago. And what they were trying to do then is carry out a denim um, uh, revolution. You know, blue denim. Uh, that was the colour uh, that it had been uh, designated uh, way back then. So I I think that what we have is a classic uh, colour revolution uh, whether it will succeed or not, I don't know. Um, success, in my view, um, hinges on the loyalty of the army. Uh, if the army splits, then uh will go. Um, if the army doesn't split, there's always the Russian uh, option. And certainly Putin uh, would want to bring uh, uh, the Belarusians back into the fold of mother uh, Russia, um, you know, um, I don't know the differences between the Belarusians and the um, the great Russians, the little Russians and the great Russians, uh, but clearly what we're talking about um, is a very similar uh, language, a very similar uh, culture and a very similar history, uh, actually. Um, okay, um, moving on, Greece versus Turkey should also be said greece versus turkey uh, and uh, greece has israel on side egypt on side cyprus on side italy on side france uh, on side uh, this is about dividing up the uh, mediterranean and the oil and gas reserves that have been discovered there and basically turkey uh, wants uh, you know um, a massive slice uh for itself and has done all sorts of extraordinarily uh, inventive um um taken an extraordinarily inventive approach uh to divvying up uh the seabed um in the mediterranean so that um its uh area uh, basically meets uh, the libyan uh, area right out in the center uh of uh, north um africa uh, for example um will it come to war um it's conceivable um the united states also clearly supports uh, greece uh, will it punish uh, turkey what will turkey do will this be the fall of um erdogan is this hubris for erdogan you know um if, if he loses that war because it won't be in my view little greece that he'll be fighting if he uh, tries to um take on Um, the other major European powers, I think Turkey would be outgunned, out-technologied, let alone if the United States intervenes to say no uh, to Turkey in the same way that the United States could intervene uh, almost with a nod um, in 1956 against France, uh, Britain and Israel and their invasion of Egypt. All the United States needs to do is say we'll trigger a run um, on the um, Turkish lira, uh, will undermine, will pull the um, um, the rug uh, from underneath the um, Turkish stock market. Uh, we'll place sanctions on Turkey, etc., etc. The fact of the matter is, Turkey is an important power in the region, uh, but that's all it is. Um, and maybe Erdogan has, um, you know. Um, grown big-headed and arrogant Um, maybe he needs foreign adventures um, in order to rally uh, the uh, population of Turkey uh, to his banner I don't know Uh, but clearly um, he's losing momentum Um, all you need to do is look at for example the um, symbolic loss uh, that his party suffered in the cap not in the capital in Istanbul Uh, the country's largest city, uh, where his candidate, um, after a court case, was defeated uh, by a candidate from the People's Republican Party. Moving from um, um, one um, potential flashpoint to another, uh, China has launched a super-fast carrier-busting missile, this is what it calls it, um, and I myself, I don't know, I'm not a, um, a military strategist, I don't know enough, but I'm sort of uh, reminded um, of, um, you know, books that you read about uh, generals, uh, and the, the phrase that they always fight the last war. Um, and if we look at the last big war, um, what uh, the, the last big war um, was won by, at least in the Pacific, uh, was aircraft carriers. Uh, the United States had aircraft carriers, and it could take on uh, Japan, which had islands. And, um, yes, the United States was able to dominate the air, able to dominate the sea, and at great cost it was able to take one island after another and drive Japan back. But the the, the major weapon that it had uh, in that war were aircraft carriers and that is until of course uh, the nuclear bomb um, on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. So aircraft carriers won uh, the pacific war and um, yes Japan could send out um, kamikaze planes and they could smash in to an aircraft carrier and I don't know maybe they strengthened the runways uh, but they couldn't sink aircraft carriers using kamikaze uh, uh, planes. But I'm thinking back uh, that if you look at World War One, what happened to cavalry, at least on the Western Front? Um, On the Western Front, uh, they were still using cavalry at the beginning of the war. Uh, By the end of the war, uh, they were, at least the British, were using tanks. And tanks were the weapon uh, that came out of World War One. Um, At the beginning of World War I, the French uh, were um, secure behind the Maginot Line and had spent a fortune in this uh, very sophisticated system of fortifications. And, of course, the Germans simply went round it um, and they uh, developed, you know, um, war at speed uh, um, uh, to take on the French until the whole thing gets bogged down uh, in trench Uh, warfare and supplying those trenches uh, with um, um, railways. Um, So the the Germans attempted to rerun um, uh, the Franco-Prussian War uh, of a lightning strike, knock out the French, surround Paris, that was the aim of the high command in Germany. Um, The old technology of uh, cavalry, the old technology of the Maginot Line, that failed um, and we end up with tank warfare and again note um, German use of tank war in World War Two, uh, that instead of using it, um, you know, uh, in conjunction with uh, troop formations, the tank formations and so as became the striking point and ran ahead uh, and surrounded the enemy, um, outmaneuvered the enemy in, in terms of speed. Anyway, I'm just thinking maybe uh, we've arrived at the point of where these hugely expensive aircraft carriers with massively expensive aircraft on them. I mean, these latest aircraft, I looked up the figure for the ones that the British are buying off the shelf, I think, from the Americans, or maybe they're making them in Britain, but F-35s. These are the aircraft on Queen Elizabeth II that are out there in the South China Sea. As I understand it, they cost $2 billion each that's the aircraft leave aside the aircraft carrier um well okay there's your aircraft uh, carriers america's got vastly more than anyone else bang a missile lands on it and sinks it uh what happens then well of course america isn't finished it's got islands it's got ok- okinawa it's got bases in uh, south uh, um korea it's not finished uh but in terms of um uh, winning wars using aircraft carriers um yes you can project power using aircraft carriers but can you win a war uh, with aircraft carriers i think it's a lot more questionable nowadays um well at least it's questionable you should think about it that's all okay lastly um and i'm going to ask your um forbearance here i'm going to give a um, a very brief report of uh, last weekend's conference of the Labour Left Alliance my own um, assessment is that what we're dealing with here is an organization um, that's very weak um, organizationally but more importantly is weak uh, politically. If you take an organization of course it's true that what organizations do is far more important than what they say um, in terms of founding principles and all the rest of it. Nevertheless, when you're dealing with a new organization, with an organization that hasn't really done anything important, uh, clearly what they say is what matters uh, about them. Um, So, in terms of the LLA, uh, to me what matters is the structure of the organization and crucially the program Um, of the organisation. Now, the Labour Party Marxists at um, last weekend's conference put forward, again, a very simple uh, model uh, for the LLA to base itself on an individual membership organisation, an organisation whose conference is sovereign, whose conference um, elects a leadership and can replace a leadership, a conference that decides policies and expects the leadership to carry out those politics very simple very straightforward not perfect all sorts of problems with any structure that you choose nevertheless compared with the existing structure which is to all intents and purposes federal but combines that uh, with a conference and uh, um um a conference that supposedly decides the policies of the organization but then elects the leadership through a different system and therefore sets up the perfect conditions the conference says one thing the leadership thinks another perfectly sincerely um, to me that's a recipe uh for disaster um people were accusing the labor party marxists of having a sector and agenda and trying to force things the fact of the matter is that if The system was adopted that Labour Party Marxists was recommending. The chances are uh, that the Labour Party Marxists would have to go in for special pleading to find anybody uh, elected from Labour Party Marxists um, onto its leadership. I I think that's a simple statement of fact. You'd have to have some agreement uh, with the majority. It's up to the majority of how you elect, who you elect. Labour Party Marxist is not the majority, is a minority, it's quite clear. But at the moment, Labour Party Marxist has a fraction on the leadership as a result of the federal structure. So as a result of affiliating, it has three people on, I think, or is it two, I don't know, on the leadership. Two, in terms of the federal structure, in terms of localities, it has various other comrades uh, elected on uh, to the leadership. Uh, we're not pursuing um, 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 a sectarian agenda um, with the Labour Party. Marx is proposing um, a conference and an individual uh, membership structure. It's just that we think that's the best way to develop a left-wing opposition in the Labour Party, and the models are there from the past and from the present. You know, if you look at uh, the Fabian Society, it's an individual membership organization. You look back to the old Independent Labour Party. uh, One can look back also uh, to the British Socialist Party, uh, where um, the CPGB um, originates. And before that, the Social Democratic Federation. All of them were individual membership uh, organizations, not alien uh, to um, the labor movement or the Labour Party. But what we've got at the moment is a tendency on the left to copy the Labour Party lock, stock and barrel. So Labour-Left Labour, Labour, left, Labour left Alliance, for example, has got to have a black officer, it's got to have its federal structure, it's got to have its own affiliates, it's got to have its own trade union affiliates. Um, uh, one can just carry on. Why, why, why? Why has it got to have all the, this uh, elaborate stuff you know, the Labour Party is a federal organisation. Oppositions don't need to be federal. Why on earth do you want to copy uh, the Labour Party? Anyway, that was voted down. Labour Party, Labour Party Marxists got about a third of the vote. No problem. Okay. Uh, then we have the adoption of, to, in my mind at least, uh, vastly over complex, vastly. Uh, um, how should I put it, detailed um, disciplinary procedures. As far as I can understand uh, this was developed to deal with one person and the name of that person um, is Tony Greenstein. I'm sure Tony Greenstein has been a pain in the bottom but to put in place this vast um, set of rules with a whole series of different offences that thou shalt not commit uh, with um, some sort of um, disciplinary panel that ought to consist or should aim to consist of 50% men, 50% of women, then you inevitably get the what about black women, what about black men, you know, what about lesbians, what about gays. Uh, I just looked up, um, for what it's worth, uh, the rules of the Russian Social Democratic Labour Party. And when it was formed, it had no disciplinary uh, procedure. Right, and I'm including uh, the founding congress, you then go to the second congress, which is the real founding congress, and one has to wait till you get to August 1917, of where you get a section in the rules that deals with discipline. And it's about two inches long, and it basically says, local organisations should deal with this. And the change comes in 1919, when basically the, the, the Communist Party, uh, becomes a military organization. And under those, under that situation, members are told to obey orders from the top. Um, so what we have is the Labour Left Alliance basically copying the Labour Party, uh, uh again. Why copy the Labour Party? Why, why this obsession, uh, with, um, bourgeois and bureaucratic norms? We should be anti-bureaucratic. We should be for the transformation. Um, of the Labour Party, not the, um, um, not mimicking uh, uh, the Labour Party. Anyway, yes, once again, uh, Labour Party, Marxists, uh, they were uh, defeated. Then we come to the principles. Uh, then we come to the platform um, of um, LLA. And uh, what we had there was basically uh, two approaches. Um, The Marxist approach, which stressed democracy, uh, which stressed uh, stressed the importance of the ultimate goal of a classless, moneyless, stateless uh, society. And on the other hand, what we had is um, basically left labourism with the word socialism sprinkled about here and there, but basically dealing with bread and butter issues because apparently ordinary workers cannot understand anything other than bread and butter issues and the movement don't get anywhere unless it concentrates on bread and butter issues well the fact of the matter is that the working class has been struggling around wages and conditions uh, ever since the working class came into existence and it does not lead to socialism Right? If you look at the Bolsheviks, we've got one example of a socialist revolution. What distinguished the Bolsheviks wasn't that they ignored economic issues, but that they stressed democratic issues. They stressed the necessity of the working class being the champion of democracy against tsarism and the champion of the peasant class. That's what distinguished Bolshevism. And that's why the Labour Party Marxists, was stressing the need uh, to abolish the House of Lords, uh, abolish the monarchy, abolish MI5, abolish the standing uh, army, abolish, yes, uh, the Tory anti-trade uh, union laws. Uh, that was the program that the Labour Party Marxists uh, put uh, forward. And yes, it went down um, um, again to a two-thirds... But what was interesting in that debate is how many comrades on the other side began their speeches by saying, well, I agree 100% with what the Labour Party Marxists are putting forward in their document. Um, um, I am a communist. I am a Marxist. But I can't vote for this. Why can't I vote for this? Because, well, uh, the working class um, 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 isn't there today. That was their excuse. And what they, what they then did is christened their program, which they introduced in, in terms of many of their speakers, as, was, well, this is a social democratic uh, uh, platform, uh, they excused it by calling it transitional. Well, uh, I'm somewhat flabbergasted because I cannot see how uh, basic uh, bread and butter economic demands are in any way transitional to a socialist society. If you're an anarchist, if you follow a uh, Bakunin, I can see that, um, but not a Marxist. A Marxist wouldn't argue uh, uh, that way. So uh, they call it transitional. Well, we've you know we've heard that you can uh, bless anything with the word transitional. You know, five percent on the pay becomes transitional. Uh, demands, you know, around oil prospecting. Um, or the environment in terms of global warming becomes transitional. No. (laughs) What you need uh, um, is a program of consciously arming the working class to fight for democracy under capitalism and make itself into the ruling class, which as a class of necessity wants to abolish itself as a class and in the process abolishes all classes and all Uh, forms of uh, exploitation and oppression. Um, We also had one other excuse, is that the uh, Labour-Left Alliance um, is a united front um, and therefore you have to concentrate on basic uh, issues. Well again, go back to the Fourth Congress of uh, Comintern and what you'll read there is that the Comintern was trying to equip its parties not individuals or tiny groups, with the politics in order to win the majority of the working class away from social democracy. And the role these comrades were playing was actually to strengthen social democracy. The last argument that's just worthwhile dealing with is the bureaucratic argument that the position that was being put forward by the Labour Party Marxists wasn't actually the the property of the Labour Party Marxists, that somehow it belonged to the leadership um, of the um, the Labour Left uh, Alliance. Well, the fact of the matter is, as far as I understand it, every single word, including every comma and every full stop, and for that matter if there are spelling mistakes in it, are the responsibility of Labour Party Marxists, right? Uh, no individual who was not a member of Labour Party Marxist contributed to that document. Um, I know who authored it, I know who edited it, I know who rewrote it, I know who re-rewrote it, and I know who re-re-rewrote it. And all of the people involved in that were members of the Labour Party Marxists. And so we put forward, I think, the perfectly reasonable uh, um, uh, request um, that uh, we should as a fraction of uh, the Labour-Left Alliance, have the right to choose our speakers. That nearly won uh, the vote. We had arguments against it. I've already indicated the sort of arguments uh, that were being put forward. And as a result, we had the chair. I don't think in any uh, jaundice fashion, just looking down the list of people who'd uh, raised their hands on um, um, you know, um, the Zoom um, call, and just choosing someone at random. And as a result of that, we had a very nice comrade from Liverpool popping up, speaking in favour of our uh, motion. Very uh, nice person, I'm sure, but very naive politically. Right? Not putting forward our, our arguments in the most coherent strongest way in order to bring out the political differences and and why we are stressing this and why we're stressing that and why we're not denying uh, the importance of economic struggles etc etc and then we had, um, as is the nature of Zoom calls, uh, someone saying they're in favour of the Labour Party Marxist um, um, platform uh, poking out of a duvet, uh, literally poking their head out of a duvet saying why they're in favor um, of it. and I'm not suggesting that merely because someone is speaking covered with a duvet um, that should uh, count against them, but the fact of the matter is that when it comes to politics, um, people who are honest in politics should be striving uh, to bring out um, arguments in, how should you put it, in all of their richness to the extent that they can and I'm just reminded, again, I've quoted this far too many times, so comrades know what I'm going to quote, and that's the first um, conference of the Bolsheviks uh, as they emerge uh, after the February Revolution. And there are differences in the Bolsheviks. There's a right-wing minority of six delegates. Uh, there's two different positions Um, I think very much of nuance but what is interesting to me this is all you can read all of that by the way in an appendix in Trotsky's Stalin school of falsification there's an appendix at the back the minutes aren't complete because they were seized and fucked over by the uh, provisional uh, goons in the uh, summer of that year either way that the minutes are there and the first thing that the chair says is oh different factions you choose your speakers. You choose. You choose. Because, of course, the chair wasn't just going round the room and picking out people that they didn't know from Adam. What, what it was about is the people who wrote those motions, the people who understood those motions, are in the best position to argue for those uh, politics and defend those politics. And the same should apply on the other side. Um, anyways, to me, Uh, that is the correct way uh, of going about it. And it's a bureaucratic uh, um, uh, approach uh, to claim that that document didn't belong uh, to the Labour Party Marxists. It motivated it, it wrote it, and it provided the best speakers uh, uh, for that platform. Inevitably, of course, it did. And if you don't want to bring out the richness of the politics and the seriousness of politics, then get a chair to randomly uh, choose people. Uh, Ridiculous. Anyway, just a couple of other um, uh, debates I think are worth mentioning um, in terms of um, LLA, Scotland. Uh, we voted um, against Scottish independence, even though the movers of um, um, that resolution basically were advocating um, another referendum. We do not support referendums, so we voted tactically. The same applies to the army question comrade was uh, talking about the Labour Party establishing um, veterans and fa- a family section in the Labour Party. Uh, that has its own particular uh, to it. Nonetheless, in that uh, uh, motion, there was also the call for trade union rights in the army. Uh, and I think that's a great call. So again, critically, tactically, uh, I certainly supported um, that uh, motion. Proportional representation. We have the opposite uh, uh, picture. I support pur- proportional representation um, down to the, you know, the one percent point. Uh, that if you get one percent of the vote, you should have one percent of MPs. We voted against that. Why? Because the movers of that motion were saying that uh, PR protects labour movement rights and labour movement gains and um, presides over the most equal societies uh, um, if you have PR. Well, the two countries I know have uh, PR systems, uh, Israel and South Africa. South Africa, down to the 1%. Israel recently has introduced blockages in order to stop the Arab uh, parties. Nevertheless, both have PR, uh, and they are amongst the most unequal uh, societies um, on uh, the planet. Um, we voted against that. Ireland, um, we had comrades, uh, and this was the majority, um, calling for the Labour Party to organise and stand in elections in Northern Ireland. The Labour Party allows people to join in Northern Ireland, uh, but not stand for public office as Labour Party uh, candidates. Uh, to us, the question of organisation is a secondary question. Do you organise? Do you not organise? Well, that's something you can, you know, um, decide looking at concrete circumstances. Uh, But the movers of that motion did not mention anything about the history of British imperialism, uh, the fact that Ireland was England's first colony, and it was a colony. Uh, It was brutally uh, colonised, and we had, of course, in the north, uh, Protestant um, settlers, Um, introduced and then we had uh, the British government carving uh, Ireland up um, after a massive uh, um, Sinn Féin victory um, in um, Irish uh, elections and as Connolly predicted what we had is a carnival of reaction on both sides of the border. Um, That motion uh, which I would regard as pro-imperialist and unionist was supported by socialist appeal and the majority of comrades. And lastly, Labour Party Marxists to me put forward a very reasonable um, um, motion basically extrapolating from the history of the Second International which passed a motion, um, a resolution against Socialists participating in a capitalist government. I can't remember the date Um, but it would be in the early years of the 20th century when Alexandre Millerand, a French socialist, joined the Republican Defense Ministry um, alongside um, the general um, who'd crushed the Paris Commune, right? Um, The Socialist International debated that twice. It passed a resolution first time around Uh, that was soft on it sort of basically said that socialists shouldn't but there are exceptional circumstances the second time it voted on it it was for hard resolution do not participate in a capitalist government well if that's a principle and in my view it is a principle uh, then it ought to be extended to shadow governments shadow cabinets what the hell was a socialist doing in Keir Starmer's shadow cabinet. Keir Starmer is an imperialist politician committed to NATO, my god he's even committed to land of hope and glory. What on earth was a socialist uh, doing in such a shadow cabinet? But two-thirds of the LLA conference uh, uh, voted, uh, I, I assume, in favor of socialist participation in a capitalist shadow cabinet and by inference um, uh, a capitalist government and we were told all of that stuff is very last century Uh, that was ages ago it's not relevant now it is as relevant now as it was in the early part uh, of the 20th century so in conclusion i know i've spoken spoken a long time on this we have to conclude uh, that the Labour Left Alliance isn't very left-wing. It's left Labour, right? Yes, uh, but it's not very left-wing. Um, it's unionist. Um, it's got. It's full of uh, illusions um, in proportional representation. It's pro-imperialist by inference in terms of its position on Northern Ireland and its on its on its position of serving in a shadow capitalist government, it's anti-Marxist uh, in reality and I include those comments who say I'm a Marxist but I can't vote for Marxism. <coughs> in my view um, if you're a Marxist and you cannot vote for Marxism in an opposition grouping in the Labour Party you don't deserve that title and you can sprinkle it uh, with the words transitional or united front but it amounts to being a labourite uh, organisation um organised along uh, federal uh uh and not democratic uh, lines that's it